This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. I had a listener ask me, you know, we have an Ask Joan section and People are always asking us, but this listener was very interesting. She said, I want to be a producer. And I hear all these people on your show, they produce theater, they produce movies. How do I become a producer? Well, as I'm pondering what to tell her, a new book comes across my desk called Try Not to Hold It Against Me, A Producer's Life by Julian Schlossberg. And Julian is a producer. He's a producer of television, of radio, of film, of theater. He does it all. He's worked with Al Pacino and Shirley MacLaine and Olson Wells. He knows and is friendly with Barbara Streisand and Liza Minnelli, everyone. He's a fascinating guy and I got such a kick out of his book. So this will tell you all. How to be a producer, who's producing, what takes place, all the secrets behind getting theater, movies, TV shows done. So come on and join the Joan Hamburg Show Sunday at 2 o'clock. Stay tuned because there's lots more ahead. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Don't forget with Restaurant Week and all the stuff going on in the city, you can really get good deals. I've had dinner in some top restaurants, three-course meal for like $40 or something like that in top restaurants. So this is a great time to come into New York, Manhattan, and sample some of the good things that are around. And the museums have so many good shows now, the Guggenheim and the Met and the Modern. This is a perfect time to bundle up and come in and take advantage of the city. There are marketplaces that have opened all over the city, a lot of Asian ones, so it's fun. And the only thing is that if you don't like public transportation, the taxis are now exorbitant. And I feel for the drivers, they deserve it. Most of the time they don't get it, a cabbies. But before you even close the door, it's like $4 or something. So anyway, let me tell you about a little French restaurant that I hadn't been to in years. I used to eat there in Soho. It's called Jean-Claude, J-E-A-N-C-L-A-U-D-E. It's Jean-Claude two at 1343 second avenue uptown and you do need reservations it's not a huge space 212-249-3400 and it's monday through sunday 11 to 9 30 and they have brunch on the weekend that ends at four o'clock 
really good French homey cuisine. Very, very popular and very young. So the top item at our table was moules, mussels, marinere. So good. I'm not a big mussel fan. I couldn't stop eating it. $25 for an enormous portion with delicious fries. They steam them. The steak frites, truly delicious. The best taste and melted in your mouth. And again, they had pomme frites French fries that were outstanding and delicious bread. Lunch, they had a lot of items like croque monsieur, croque madame, 16 and $17. And the people next to us, everyone was sort of young in there except for moi, me. But the Jean-Claude certified Black Angus burger, the young couple on our left said, so delicious, $17. I got a big kick out of it. I remember eating in that restaurant in Soho and really enjoyed it. They were there for over 20 years and then they came uptown and are doing incredibly well. But it was really like, I, I hate to say, but when I was at Barnet, and we used to look for restaurants all over the city. This We could find restaurants that you could afford to eat in that were cozy and fun to be there. And that was Jean-Claude. We really enjoyed it. Take the number, 212-249-3400. Very popular. So an early reservation is probably the way to go, early or very late. But you will have something really delicious. And I'm not the biggest meat eater, but I had a sliced black Angus sirloin with those delicious potatoes. It was a treat and so tasty. So that is something you definitely may wanna try. I got a big kick out of it. And then a friend said, a very popular Upper East Side restaurant, and a lot of people come in for museums and all the new shows, and a lot of galleries have opened up here. Check out Palma Nueva, N-U-O-V-A, at 1404 3rd Avenue, 212-535-3520. It's got new owners, if you haven't been to this version of Palma, and they redid the whole space. Very cozy, elegant, authentic Italian memo, and a lot of very good people running it. And the samples, the appetizers, prosciutto parmigiano, and that was really very good. They had a fried zucchini. The whole table ate it for $15, and burrata, with tomatoes and roast peppers, creamy, creamy mozzarella was really good. And all around us, people were ordering their meatballs. They do veal and beef meatballs with a homemade tomato sauce. Really excellent. And calamari, golden brown, crisp and fried. Prosciutto parmigiano cherry tomatoes, fresh basil, 
and they had a homemade, again, a spaghetti they made from scratch with Parmesan cheese and crushed peppers and veal Parmesan and tortellini, you name it. And they had it, and the room is so attractive, really pretty. They did a great job on it. So a restaurant to try, if you're coming into any of the museums on the Upper East Side, Again, let me tell you, you need a reservation, 212-535-3520. And it's dinner only, Monday through Sunday, from 5 to 10 p.m. We got there at 6.30, which was a really good time. And if you want Asian food in that neighborhood, maybe you're going to a show at the Metropolitan Museum, then you can check Pig Heaven, which is, again, a very popular Chinese restaurant on the Upper East Side. Very friendly, really delicious. They're famous for their spare ribs, which are special. And a little hint that if you do go there, the spare ribs are huge. Ask them if they can cut them in half for you. So that's just a couple of thoughts on Joan Eats, and of course we eat, we love to eat, we all do, and this should get you started if you're doing an activity up here. And we keep bringing you all the newest restaurants, the old ones that are worth going back to, anything that you want to try. We're going to take you to the South Street Seaport, where they have fabulous food courts now, and a wonderful Chinese restaurant. So, Come on in, enjoy the city, enjoy the food. The city's not that crowded now, so it's a good time to come in. And I'll hold your hand all the way. So breathe, enjoy. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to your favorite radio station, WABC. And you can also get us on Facebook, on Twitter, you name it, we're here. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I have a real treat today. Someone I've known for a long time, and you know him because he's done so much theater and movies. He does everything. Julian Schlossberg. Julian has a new book, Try Not to Hold It Against Me, A Producer's Life. And here's a man who grew up in New York City as a kid, fell in love with the entertainment business. But as he points out, in the old days, there were movie theaters everywhere, and that was an entertainment. You could spend the whole day in an air-conditioned movie or movies and see them, and your parents thought you were safe, and everything worked out. Today, in my neighborhood, we had two movie theaters. Now we have none. I mean, we have part of one that every now and then will come up with a film, but 
the good old days are gone. And as we all talk about, because I have kids in the movie business, what's going to happen to the movie business? You know, where are people going to see their movies? Can you sit in your pajamas and still create a hit? If you're a comedy writer, you need a house full of people laughing. Laughter is contagious. Anyway, Julian takes us on a fabulous ride. And he started really as a kid. And he started learning how to buy movies for national theater chains. And he worked for a lot of major companies. Started his own called Castle Hill Productions and produced a lot and worked with major stars, Elaine May, Woody Allen, Mike Nichols. And I loved hearing about the cast of characters that changed the course of Julian's life. So do you find it interesting that you were so directed as a kid and really knew where you wanted to go? Well, I didn't think it was unusual until all my friends, when we got older, would say, you always knew what you wanted to do. And I guess I did. I didn't think of it that way. I, I just knew what I wanted to do. My mother, Joan, you would love this. My mother was very upset that I would bring Variety home at 10 years old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and she would say, what are you doing? I want you to be a lawyer, an accountant. And oh, I said, God, well, sound I, like me. Yeah. <laughs> well, but look how well your son did. My God, how well he did in the entertainment business. Yeah, but he, like you, that's always what he wanted to be. And I sounded like your mother. What, <laughs> being a lawyer isn't good enough for you? Or you don't want to be a doctor? <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting, Joan. I would, I would, I put, kind of put myself through school, uh, college, driving a cab in New York. And I, I, went all around trying to find a cab with a radio because most of the garages didn't want to buy the radio. Why would they pay extra money for a cab with a radio? But I found one that did. And I listened to Mike Nichols and Elaine May's albums and Woody album, oh, uh, Woody Allen's albums and, and Alan Arkin from the Second City. And all I wanted to do was meet them and shake their hand and tell them what they meant to me. The fact that I became their producer really shocked me. That it, that did shock me. I, I, I still can't believe it. He, then when I was writing the book, I kept thinking, wow, this is this is really interesting. <laughs> it's actually interesting me, which was, I guess, a good way to keep writing the book. Well, I, and I've often wondered, when you write a book like that, which starts really at the very beginning, how cathartic is that? Was it like going to a good shrink? to see your whole life from a little boy on to well, it, this part it, of your life? That's such a good question. And, and I, I don't, you know, I, I think in a way, you know, they talk about people channeling and maybe I was channeling because it came to me so easily, the, 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 the memories, I mean, and that was surprising. I didn't think they would, but I, I guess, you know, we do, we do have, it's all within us. I mean, they say, the brain is a computer, and I guess if you can download it, I, I started doing it. The idea that I knew that I loved show business from the very beginning, the idea that I was on the wrong coast, that was a whole deal, a whole different situation because obviously everything that I was interested in seemed to be happening in L.A. Fortunately, though, I was around as a young man for the advent of television. 
And that's what I talk about in the book a lot, the early days of being an audience member. Right. Um, uh, my dear friend Elaine May wrote the foreword to the book, and she was so uh, encouraging about the beginnings. I said, oh, I think people will want to read about George C. Scott and Shirley MacLaine and all the people I've worked and knew. And she said, People will also like about the will like the nostalgia about what it was like to go downtown as a kid and see Judy Garland at the palace, or to or to go to McGinnis's, the roast beef king, or to Grand right. hot dogs, and we used and to I, love I guess, that. And I and I think yeah, I mean I Joan, I have such fond memories of going to the Paramount Theater and the Capitol Theater full orchestras. The movie was there, but the orchestras were there. I would see Joni James perform and sing. I'd see comics. I would see vaudeville shows. It was an amazing time, uh, and I, I I just relished in it. And so I tried to bring it back, uh, especially at the first part of the book, about what that was like, that world that will never come back, never come back again. Uh, and the I'll comics. tell you one thing that you might be interested in, if what? I may. The Kingsbridge Armory was the largest armory in the world. It was in the Bronx, and I lived across the street from it. Now, this was long before the New York City Coliseum or the Javits Center was built. So the car shows, the motorboat shows, all of them went to the Kingsbridge Armory. But I went as a kid because there were rodeos, rodeos in the Bronx with Buster Crab and Johnny McBrown coming up and, and, and either riding their horses and I could go and get their autographs. It was a terrific time, and I write all about that. And about, like, I was lucky to have sort of come of age with the Sid Caesar and all those brilliant comedies and variety shows when you'd sit down on Sunday night and watch television, and it was a big deal. You know, oh, it, was. it was original it was. and funny, and, and you got the biggest kick out of everything. And, and it was interesting, too, because I was able to get to Sid Caesar and Max Liebman, who produced Show of Shows. And my very first movie that I produced was 10 from your Show of Shows, taking 10 of their greatest sketches and putting it into a movie and opening it up in a theatrical basis. It was my first movie, and it inspired me to then go after Steve Allen's shows and see if he had any. And I wanted The Tonight Show, but he didn't have the kinescopes, but he did have his Sunday night program. And we got he had everybody on, every major comic from old Bob Hope to Jerry Lewis, everybody at the time. And so we did two one-hour specials on that. So working with Sid Caesar and Steve Allen, it was just terrific, and be able to make films out of uh, their kinescopes. But you know what's amazing, and I don't know if it could happen today? Here you are, this young kid from the Bronx. It isn't like you grew up in showbiz. You said you didn't even have your own bedroom. I didn't. And you slept in a little corner of what was (laughs) off the kitchen. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so you've come a long way. Yes, but I, 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 you, I have my own bedroom now. That's, thank goodness, Julian. <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, <laughs> from when your neighborhood where you grow up, you're a big success. <laughs> but, well, 
you know, it's been a, it's been that part of, of looking back and going to the old neighborhood. I know, you know, all of us who grew up in New York City know that we, we, we were in a neighborhood. It was a neighborhood. We knew the butcher. We knew the baker. It's we true. knew the deli. We knew these stores and the store owners. It, it wasn't big, giant supermarkets. There was an A&P, but by and large, it was our conclave. That's where we lived. And very rarely did you leave that area unless you went downtown to see a movie, which, as you remember, Joan, could play a year downtown before exactly. it came up to the to the neighborhoods. And we used to get dressed to go to the movies. That's right. You know, it was, especially if it was a musical, you know, you, you would have to really put something decent on yeah, and, you and go good shoes. Way. You couldn't go the way you usually would go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to Julian Schlossberg, his new book, Try Not to Hold It Against Me, A Producer's Life. And what all of you are going to marvel at, too, is how this kid from the Bronx got access to everyone. Now, Elaine May wasn't, she didn't know she was going to grow up to be Elaine May yet at that time, or <laughs> even Woody Allen. Woody Allen probably knew and always thought, I'm definitely Woody Allen. Screw the others. Well, Elaine, but... interestingly enough, his father uh, had a troupe. Uh, he was a, 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 a Yiddish a director and writer, and he had a troupe that went all over the world, and she acted as a little girl, as did Sidney Lumet in Yiddish theater. They didn't act together, but they both came from the Yiddish theater background. Uh, Elaine, of course, does not like to do publicity, and she's one of the few people in show business, maybe the only, who paid a press agent to keep her out of the papers. That's funny. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it, in her case, it didn't work because the talent was so big. That's true. It was bigger than her anxiety. And yes. That's true. I, I tried for seven years on WMCA to get her on my show, and she was my close friend. <laughs> she wouldn't and you do couldn't it. Do. Well, you, you know, we can understand. But I loved, because I worked with Barry Gray for years, your Barry Gray stories and all the cast of characters who were around and part of your life when you were just coming of age yourself. It, it is true, and and Barry Gray, who I really thought the world of when I listened to him as a kid, I couldn't believe that I was going to be working with him on WMCA. But yeah. it turned out that he didn't turn out to be an ally of mine. He wanted us to do a, a television show together called the Schlossberg Gray Report. And he said, I'm giving you top billing. And I said, you're only giving me top billing because the Gray Schlossberg Report sounds terrible. It sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I refused to do it, uh, not because uh, I just, you know, I write in the book, Joan, that there's a wonderful movie called Double Indemnity, and Edward G. Robinson is with Fred, Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, but Robinson says, that he touches his chest and he goes, when the little man inside me tells me something, I have to listen. Well, the little man inside me told me, stay away from Barry Gray. He's not going to work. <laughs> You're not going to work with him. And so we didn't work. And uh, But I was able to get Bob Hope and George Burns and Jack Nicholson. I had the biggest names on the show. And while he was certainly a bigger name than I was, he couldn't get those people. I got them because of personal contacts, and he didn't have them. And it turned out that he actually went to the, to the station owner and got me 
off the air after seven years on the basis that I had made a movie, which I had with Danny Goldberg called No Nukes, uh, a concert movie, but against nuclear energy with Bruce Springsteen, probably the only movie Bruce ever made, in fact. And he uh, said, he's on the air pushing his own movie. Well, I was pushing the movie. Why not? I, yeah. Yeah, but I had nothing. To, I couldn't gain. I was never paid to make the movie. And if it made $100 million, I would have made zero because I had no piece of it. I was doing it because I believed in the danger potential of, of nuclear energy. And he got, me off, he got me off the air because between Barry Gray and me, they were going to do what Barry Gray wanted. So after seven years... <laughs> I was. Wow. I couldn't even go on, Joan, to say goodbye and thank the listeners. It wouldn't even let me do that. Had to cancel Malcolm McDowell, who was my guest. So do, do I? Do I forget these things? Obviously not. Not obviously <laughs> not, and they come out, you know, in various ways. I know. You know, it's like cross me once, and you're on the list. <laughs> and, and, well, yeah, and, and uh, it, but it was saddened because you know, from afar, I thought the world of a man. I did. So, I know. Anyhow, I, 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 my mother taught me not to say bad about anyone, so maybe I shouldn't have said it. Sorry, it's Mom. It's too late, but too it's late. okay. No, he was definitely a tough cookie. Yes. You know, we had listener trips in those days, and we would schlep people all over the world, and Barry Gray was on the air, so he had to do it too, but he didn't like listener company too much. You know, <laughs> and this is a call-in station. We should point out. <laughs> yeah, call-in, and, and you heard, and you heard everything. You know, but the whole world is changing, and you've done everything from radio and television and film, and Broadway. What still touches your heart the most? I think theater does. I, I, if theater is done well, there is nothing like it. You're there. You can feel it. You can see it. You see, in film and television, the director kind of tells you what you're going to watch. But in theater, as an audience member, you're the camera. You can look where you want to look. Big difference. You can make a big difference by just being able to say, you know, I'm interested in that actor, even though he's not talking right now. What is mm -hmm. he doing? It's a whole different uh, experience and the visceral, the excitement of, of of the anger or the crying really can get to you much more in person than on film. Yeah, so right. I think theater is my favorite. And and the other thing is this: it's one location. As a producer, you say, "Oh, thank goodness, I'm only in one location the right. whole time I'm working." However, as you also know, Joan, it's the most precarious. It's the most difficult. Uh, to raise the money, to get an audience. Yeah, to get and, paid uh, back. And, and as you know, most of sh uh, the, th the shows fail. Most of the shows don't make money. So the fact that I've been able to do as many as I have, I'm very grateful uh, because uh, I, I, think, I think if you can really show that you have a passion for something, and people will kind of jump with you, they, as long as they made some money occasionally along the way. Yeah, no, it's... it's... Without question, very difficult in theater. Yes. And even now, you know, it's getting harder and harder to fill a house. Part of it is most people can't pay the almost $300 a ticket. Yes, you know, it's and really crazy, though. Crazy, kind of and prices. park your it, car. 
they, and everything yeah. else. It's a tough night. It really, it really is. And, and it's amazing to me, I mean, to, to show the enormous popularity of, of a, a man like you, Jackman, can bring in $3 million right. per week in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it's unbelievable. But I haven't met him twice, not a friend. He wouldn't know me if I walked in the door, but I was with him twice. One of the warmest, kindest, most loving human beings you can meet. And I guess it comes across. I guess the public just adores the man. Uh, they, and they should, they because he's just so talented and and seemingly, as I say, because I never worked with him, so kind. Right. And every time I would go to theater with him, the audience would go berserk. All he had to do was hiccup, and they would go, <laughs> bravo, bravo, stand up, and absolutely love it. And he, some people have that magic. They do. And, and, and you can't take it away. And especially to be, be able to be appealing to both men and women. That's a real talent. Yeah, no, it is. And not to begrudge. You know, sometimes success comes with its own issues. Oh, yes. Well, you know, the time that people become stars, they're, often they're damaged goods because they've had so much rejection. They've been treated as the beginning Shabbily. so badly mm -hmm. that sadly they turn into, say, or can turn into a, a nasty human beings. It's true, but why do you think it's so hard to put up a show that gets an audience and gets attention? What's wrong in the world of theater where it's so difficult to do that? Well, as you said earlier, and you're totally right, right off the bat, you're starting out by saying to people, you've got to spend a lot of money to see this. That's a tough thing in, in a world where people are trying to pay the rent or the college uh, tuition for, for, for kids. So you have that problem. And, and what's happened, you and I grew up, Joan, where the majority of the people who went to theater on Broadway were from New York, New Jersey, and Long Island, right. Connecticut. Now, 70 to 75 percent of the audience are tourists. They're not from New York. And they want a musical, too. And they want they don't want to sit and they don't want to have to think. They don't, by and large. So we have to hope that the 25% of the New Yorkers well, who are going uh, may hopefully go to see something that has some intelligence and something to do with the world we're living in. I mean, I love musicals. I produce musicals. But I still would be very unhappy if all shows that were uh, drama or comedies were not produced. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you go, when you go around the country and you see, as I have, where regional theaters in the biggest cities put on musicals only. They don't even bring it. I they know. used to bring in at least a Neil Simon play or something. They don't now. It's just musicals by and large. I know. They will. And they're I love afraid. Them. But they're exactly they're afraid. And, you know, the audience now is bombarded. You know, they talk about the information highway. It's bumper to bumper. Everybody's coming at you. You remember the song from Midnight Cowboy? Everybody's talking. Yeah. I say everybody's hawking. <laughs> it's true. <You> know? <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable true. with the streaming and the bloggers and the podcast and the computer. And my golly, I mean, nobody made a movie 
in the history of movies to be shown on an iPhone. They just didn't. (laughs) No, or a comedy to be watched and listened to alone in your bedroom or living room. It's not fun to laugh alone. You need everyone around you to be cracking up. That's right. That's part of the joy of seeing a comedy with people. You know, so let me ask you, Julian, I'm talking to Julian Schlossberg, his new book, Try Not to Hold It Against Me, A Producer's Life. Are the movies going to survive all this? I, I mean, the theaters they, I are think, empty. I think they will, but it'll be uh, much less of the theaters. I think the theaters, many of them will sadly are already going out of business. But I'm afraid it'll be a, a, a you know, the streaming has taken over, and, and they were doing pretty well. But when the pandemic hit, oh, my God, that was a bonanza for the streaming companies. Yeah. You know, people said, oh, I don't have to go out. I don't even have to go to work. I can yeah. sit home and do my job, and I can sit home and watch a movie. I know, and, that, and that's absolutely what's happening. I went to see the Spielberg movie at a very popular theater, you know, right opposite Bloomingdale's on 3rd Avenue in the 60s. Yes. And there were um, three of us, and we go into the theater, and so help me, there were four seats occupied in uh, front of us, and that was it. Yeah. And it's, I thought, how could that be? But it it's, was. And it's a lovely movie and very warm and enjoyable. And no, people liked it, but there were no people. No, you know, it's, it's very, it's a tough, it's just a very tough time. The, 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 the positive nature of all this is that at least there's a lot of outlets for, let's say, actors, writers, directors, right. uh, where they didn't have before these enormous amount of movies that are now being made. When I was a kid and you were a kid, every studio made a movie a week. They made mm-hmm. approximately 50 movies each studio. It was an incredible time, and that mm-hmm. was then. And then, of course, it changed. In fact, when I was a, a vice president of production of Paramount, we were making 14 movies. That was it. You know, that would be it. So that's quite a diminution, to say the least, you know. So well, I guess it's going up and down as 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 I guess the world does. That's right, and we all have to ride with it. And Julian's book is going to take you for a wonderful, interesting, funny ride. You're going to learn a lot about Hollywood, about New York, about producers. Maybe you want to be in the business. Maybe you don't, but whatever it is, Julian writes, try not to hold it against me, a producer's life. Congratulations. I look forward to talking to you very soon. Thank you, Joan, and thank you for inviting me. Anytime. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC. Much more ahead. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. Whether you're looking for a Valentine's Day gift that's a little unusual or something to make you feel good, 
maybe an activity for one of these cold, blustery days, I'm going to tell you about a great experience. It's called the Sojo, S-O-J-O, Spa Club in Edgewater, New Jersey. It's right on River Road, 660 River Road, Edgewater. It's a daily opening from 9 to 10.30 at night, including holidays. Go online, sojospaclub.com, 201-313-7200. This is a multi-level, all-season Korean day spa right in Edgewater, New Jersey. It's across the street from one of my favorite Asian grocery stores, the Matsuwa Market Place, M-I-T-S-U-W-A. It's an Asian grocery store and food court about 15 minutes from either the George Washington Bridge and the Lincoln Tunnel. Very easy to get to from this area. You spend your day at the spa barefoot, no shoes allowed, relaxing in a robe, your bathing suit, the floors are heated, the views of Manhattan take your breath away. In the winter, it's $90 weekdays, 115 weekends and holidays, and it includes unlimited access to saunas, pools, baths, non-valet parking, stay as long as you want, and the food and spa services are not included and purchased separately. Spa amenities are spread over 140,000 square feet on five floors with indoor and outdoor areas. The outdoor pools and baths are heated and open even through the winter. And it's a great cold season experience. The floors are so cozy and warm. There are heated tents and covered walkways that make going in and out of the pools and baths very comfortable. They have eight unique therapeutic saunas with different health benefits to detox in. And Linda DeWitt, who works with us, her daughter Carly had the best experience there. She went with one of her friends and said the place was fantastic, immaculate. She felt someone was behind her cleaning up as she walked and that everything was just perfect. The sauna was great. She relaxed in the baths, the pools, the outdoor area with its views. She and her friend were like ooing and eyeing and schmoozing. She loved the foot massage path, which is an outdoor activity. You walk over different sized stones in shallow, warm water, like foot reflexology, and very good food. They ate ramen soup and a poke bowl, and they could have had anything, a sandwich, a snack, a smoothie. And if you want to go after the spa, I love this, the Matsuwa Marketplace, fabulous Asian food. I think it's some of the best ramen soup in New York. And the Marketplace has fresh sushi. Also, the spa has a full range of Korean massages, scrubs, facials for a fee. It's a great experience. Sojo Spa Club, River Road, Edgewater. Look online, sojospaclub.com or 201-313-7200. Perfect way to spend a day. I'm Joan Hamburg and you're listening to WABC.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 